Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Glad that you uh, joined in today. As you can see, uh, we're doing things a little different. We're shooting from my house. So um, grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever beverage is your choice this morning and um, turn up the volume, open your Bibles, and we're going to continue in our study with the Minor Prophets with the book of Haggai. Um, I have a question for you today. Um, do you have vision? Good question, right? Do you realize most kids have vision? They really do. Um, you know, around my house, there was a lot of vision growing up with four boys. Um, you know, dad, what do we need to do? Or dad, we need to do this. And, you know, there's a lot of suggestions of what we should be doing and where we should be going. And, uh, you know, again, with you, you can fill in the blank. It's up to you. Um, a few weeks back, I had personally a very busy day, much like everybody else, you know, had to get up early. I uh, had to plan out a whole bunch of things. Stuff was going on around the house. I had to, was this in that process of, of making breakfast? So I just got up, you know, the coffee was already made by Sharon. I was making breakfast, giving attention to the things that needed to be done for this day, but also during the week. And, you know, here I am, I'm thinking I'm in this progress. And I thought, you know, what do I need to do? What's my priority? Uh, where do I need help, you know, from the kid? you know, still residing with me because I needed to get some stuff done around the house. And so before I knew it, I'm thinking about dinner and, uh, you know, who or if anybody's going to be present because our schedules are sort of all over the place. And so I'm thinking all about this and I have it all in my head and it's all swirls it's like only 730 in the morning or whatever. And the kid calls out from his room and he says, hey, dad, what's for dessert tonight? dessert. It's like 7.38 in the morning, and I'm thinking about the day he's already on dessert. Dessert. At least he has some sort of vision, right? You know, that's the good thing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some folks today who lacked a little bit of vision, and God sent a prophet there to really help them out in this whole process. And God sends this guy named Haggai to his people to uh, help them better see what was going on in their situation because they really didn't fully grasp uh, what was going on. So one of the biggest problems or challenges, I should say, in preaching the book of Haggai is simply finding it in our Bibles. Um, you know, because when when people go into the Old Testament, you know, we we usually gravitate towards, gravitate towards the, the Pentateuch, right? You know, the first five books of the Bible or the Psalms or, you know, sometimes we look in the major prophets, but few really want to venture into the labyrinth of the minor prophets, like what we are doing. And once there, it, it's actually quite easy to miss these two very small chapters called the book of Haggai. And it's unfortunate because actually Haggai is a hidden gem and it, it brings actually a lot of encouragement for those who are prepared to dig into it. And um, I also think that there's really a message there for all of us, even in this time that we find ourselves in. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask five simple questions. You know, who wrote the book? Where are we in history? Why is this book so important? What's the main message? And how do I apply it to my life? Now, let's jump in. Who wrote the book? Well, nothing's really known about this guy, Haggai, uh, beyond what's really recorded in uh, his own book. But also, Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 have a little snippet there. And his name has uh, something to do with festival or holidays. Uh, but uh, the significance of his name is actually obscure. So it's not like other prophets we looked at. Um, Haggai was called by God a few months before 
his contemporary, which is a, a prophet that we're going to look at shortly, named uh, Zechariah. And Haggai calls the people to rebuild the temple. Uh, he's the first prophet after the exile. So the people have come back from Babylon. He's the first prophet there. He records these four messages uh, to the people of Jerusalem. Uh, and that he records them 18 years after their return from exile in Babylon. Um, in Haggai chapter 2, we read that, does anybody remember this house, uh, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. So here's a little snippet. It's a reference, and it seems to indicate that Haggai had been in Jerusalem before the destruction of the temple and the exile in, in uh, 586 BC, meaning that chances are here, this guy, he's in his 70s or older by the time he begins to deliver these prophecies. So you remember, you got this old, older man there. And from these facts, the picture of Haggai begins to come into focus. And he's this older man. He's looking back on the glories of his nation. Um, he's a prophet that's in, inspired, infused with a passionate desire to see God's people rise up from these ashes of the exile and reclaim their rightful place as God's light to the nation. And let's get his temple built. This is what it's all about. So where are we in history? Um, I, again, Haggai's prophecy came at a time when the people of Judah were extremely vulnerable. Um, They've been humbled by the exile, uh, now hopeful in their return back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land. But they became, became discouraged because they were now facing opposition in the rebuilding of the temple, so much so that they eventually quit. So what I want to do is give you just a little brief timeline for Haggai, but also for us, when we read, we can also understand the books of Nehemiah and Ezra in the Old Testament in order for us to understand the scriptures in their entirety. So in 586 BC, the Babylonians came in, they sacked Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and they took most of the Jews into exile. Yeah, not nice guys, that's, but that's what they did. And so in 546 BC, Cyrus the Great II, uh, who is Persian, successfully captures the capital city of the Midian Empire. And so then what he does is he takes his army and their army and he combines them. And then he moves in 539. He goes to Babylon and he sacks that city. And now he's like this major, major power player. That very next year, after he defeats Babylon, he releases the Jewish exiles to return to Jerusalem. And he issues a decree uh, that they're to be given supplies and a free will offerings. And why? So that they could rebuild the temple. Interesting. And we read all this about in Ezra chapter one. And so about 50,000 people return. And there's actually a detailed list of names and positions in Ezra two. It's actually quite fascinating if you take the time and study it. Two years later in 536 BC, they begin to work and they begin to restore the temple according to Ezra chapter three. And they're, they're, they're building the foundation of the temple. And now it's complete. But their enemies here, they hear of what's going on. And so they come and first what they do is they offer help to build, but they're actually rejected by the governor of the time. His name is Zerubbabel. It's a mouthful, but that's who it is. And so then what they do is they set out to discourage and to oppose the building effort. So now they really become enemies. And so uh, they even go so far as to actually hire people to figure out how to stop the Jews. Again, we read this in the book of Ezra. Eventually, they write a letter back to Persia. Uh, which is now under new leadership. So Cyrus is dead and King Artaxerxes is there and they complain to him that the Jews are rebuilding the temple. And so Artaxerxes does his research and he issues a command to the Jews to stop building, you know? And so Judah's enemies use this command 
uh, to force and to stop the construction of the temple. So 16 years go by, and now we find ourselves in 520 BC. Haggai shows up, and he begins to prophesy. And unlike most of the other prophets, Haggai explicitly dated his prophecies down to the day. And so the book is actually clearly divided into four distinct messages from God. And the first message delivered by Haggai uh, to Zerubbabel, who was the governor, as I said, and also Joshua, the high priest, is dated August 29, 520 BC. The second message that is found in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, is dated um, October 17, 520. And then the third message is found in chapter 2, 10 to 19. That's dated December 18, 520. And the fourth message that comes in, uh, same day date, but it's uh, chapter 2, 20 to 23. And so the things that we see when you look at this book, again, two small, very short chapters. Um, the first and the third messages are similar. The second and the fourth messages are similar. Um, of course, you can read them on your own. So Haggai calls the people to come and to finish completing the work of rebuilding the temple. But the people had excuses. They were blaming their lack of food, clothing, and shelter on their failure to rebuild the temple, right? Uh, however, they get convicted by Haggai's message, and then they respond to the work on the temple, uh, and it begins again. These messages that Haggai shares encourages the people to finish the building, and they have this hope in God. They also see a promise of blessing in the future. And so by 515 BC, the temple is actually completed. Now, on a separate note, some 57 years later, in 458 BC, Ezra arrives. So he comes later with the second wave of exiles from Babylon. And he reestablishes the law. He reestablishes the priesthood. He calls the people to repentance. And then about 12 to 13 years later, if you're reading your scriptures in 445 BC, this guy named Nehemiah shows up, right? He was the, the cupbearer to the king in Artaxerxes. And uh, he comes and he's concerned about the conditions of the walls of Jerusalem. They were broken down and uh, the people needed protection and they weren't getting in. So that's the history. That's where it all falls in. So you have Haggai, Ezra, and then Nehemiah. So why is this book so important? Two little chapters, you know, <laughs> fits on one page of your Bible. Well, after thousands of years, the book of Haggai remains largely unique. Think about this. Amongst the, the books of the Old Testament prophecies for, for one key reason, and uh, the people of Judah actually listened. That's the whole thing. The people of Judah actually listened. And they, uh, so his, his message was rebuild the temple and he's passionate about it and he's simple and he's very straightforward. You know, he says in chapter one, verse eight, he says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. So through the physical act of rebuilding uh, the temple, the people began to show this indication in their, their lives that there, there was a shift now in, uh, in their spiritual lives. Uh, from devotion and, and uh, towards themselves, towards devotion to God, which I think is important today as well, especially when we read about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But of course, I'm going to get on that a little bit later. So what's the main message? Well, it's important. Uh, again, very simple. The people forgotten their God. They chose instead to simply focus on their own interests. And one of the phrases that he used a couple of times, uh, depending on your translation, is, is considered right? Or uh, give careful thought to, you know, 
Uh, and a couple of times he says this, you know, consider your ways or give careful thought to your ways. And it's a key phrase that we all should be aware of. And as we look at their story and what happened with them in their timeline uh, in history, we, we should also give careful thought to our ways. Remember that, our ways and what God has in store for us in our time and place. And this is the mirror. This is the mirror of Haggai. So when we look into it, speaking to us. Now, how do we apply it to our life? Well, first, let's read the uh, first nine uh, verses. In the second year of King Darius, well, let's move on. It talks about Zerubbabel and Josiah, son of Jezozak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Okay? You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never you're filled. You put on clothes, but you're not worn. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So, sounds familiar, right? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, I turned out to be, but I, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. So here's what's going on. God had returned the Jews from the exile. They were supposed to rebuild the temple. The temple was supposed to be the center of their community. We have to understand this. Uh, it would be the place where they were to worship, where they were to enjoy God. It was the place where they would teach their kids about God. It was a place where strangers from other nations could come and learn about God's love for them. That was the whole point of the temple. It was in every way the center of their community. God is the center of their life, the center of their community. And it was a place from which they would organize themselves, right, to, to take care of the poor, to take care of the needy in their community. And unfortunately, uh, the Jews coming back from exile had thoughtlessly placed their own interests, their own interests, um, really before God's interests. That's exactly what they did. Um, looking after their own safety, looking after their own security without giving any thought to the status of the temple. And so uh, it was 20 years and, and they still haven't rebuilt it. And, and nothing should have been more important for the Jews than to show that God was at the center of their thoughts and actions. That was the most important thing. And so Haggai shows up and he begins to direct them to finish rebuilding the temple. Now, evidently, one of those excuses that they've given was, well, we're, we're basically in a recession. Um, you know, in verse 6, they're complaining that they have planted much and harvested little. That's sort of like the Old Testament way of saying our stocks have crashed. So, of course, you know, we, we can't give to the temple. We got nothing to give. There's, there's no way we can do this. Um, but God says to them, interestingly, you know, so, you know your, your excuse for not giving is, you know, we're in a recession. But I'm telling you that the reason that you're in a recession is because you haven't given. Think about that. So God is informing the people that they're building their lives on their wrong priorities, on things that don't matter. They were putting other things first and not him. And their response was, well, we can't give because we don't have anything in excess to give to you. And God's reply was, you don't have excess because you don't give. 
Now I can make this a whole money message, but I'm not going to, right? God reminds them that they were more concerned with building their own homes instead of his. And that's why God says, think carefully about what's going on here. Think carefully about what's going on here. Again, look at verse six. You drink, but never have your fill. You, you put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only uh, to put them in your purse with holes in it. Right? It's great. It's one of, one of the absolute states you can actually be in is when you are unable to find satisfaction. Right? You spend your time trying to obtain some sort of coveted prize. You finally get it, and, and it just doesn't do for you what you hoped. Right? You know? And this is what's happening to these people. They, they, they lived in this uh, perpetual frustration um, and, per, and perpetual just discontentment. They just weren't happy. Uh, nothing was satisfying them. And uh, you can't look over this very easily because it's, it's for us too. We have to walk away with this. And, and uh, you know, again, again, if you ever struggled with the tension between kingdom sacrifice, you know, for God and prioritizing our own personal needs, needs that's, that's something that we, we, we struggle with. And Haggai has a timely word for all of us here. Because over time, the focus of God's people has sort of drifted from the rebuilding of the temple uh, to their own homes. Um, in our materialistic age, when you think about it, how easy it is for God's people, for believers, to, to lose sight of the gospel priorities, the priorities of the church and what we stand for and the message of the gospel. And what do we do? We end up focusing on our own personal agendas, right? And if you spend your time and energy seeking comfort, seeking security from the world, and don't spend your time uh, or, or don't spend for yourself the time on, on glory with God, spending time with God, doing his will, his purpose, every pleasure will sort of leave its sour aftertaste of, you know, depression, guilt, frustration, like we're putting the emphasis on the wrong things. And so Haggai comes in and he challenges not only the Jews, but he challenges us by asking, are we seeking the kingdom of God? Or are we putting our own pleasures and comforts first? And this is really interesting, too, especially because we're in this lockdown, correct? So now I want you to get this. God is not begrudging them the fact that they have nice stuff. That's not an issue here. He wants them to have nice stuff. Actually, you know, he wants them to have what is described as the panelings in their houses, right? In fact, he's telling them that he wants to bless them even more. Think about that. Uh, more than that they even realize. The problem that has to be addressed here is that they have pri prioritized themselves uh, and their stuff over God. So they actually have two problems. They have a problem of faith, right? It's a faith problem. They don't believe that God will supply their needs, which is quite interesting. Even though he brought them back from the exile, he was the one who took them out, brought them back to Jerusalem. They don't give and they don't build. They just don't believe that he's going to supply all their needs. And they have a priority problem. So faith problem and a priority problem. And they focus on themselves rather than on God. Think about that. They focus on themselves rather than on God. And it's a little counterintuitive, but the way that God's blessing uh, works, even during tough times, is by putting him first. So when you give God priority in your life and you trust in him and give, whether it's your time, treasure, or talents, even in a time of distress, he promises to take care of your needs, a faith issue. 
You know, this is an Old Testament version of the same thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. What does he say? He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So rather, you know, than leaving them alone with the task of rebuilding, Haggai shows up and he continues to preach to them and he encourages them with, with hope and with a future glory in the temple and a victory to eventually overcome the enemies of God's people. And we read that in chapter 2. And according to Haggai's message, if the people would place God at the center of their lives, they would realize the future blessings that God had in store for his people. Put God first. Put God number one. And Haggai's encouragement to rebuild the temple brings to my mind Paul's, what Paul says to the Christians in Corinth. You know, he writes in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anybody builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, and it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Where are you putting your priorities? If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames, just getting by. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You're God's temple and his spirit dwells in your midst. If anybody destroys the temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. You're sacred. And you together are that temple. Now, again, there's this corporate aspect for we as a church. Now, one of the key purposes, um, uh, one of the key purposes God was sending them back for from the exile out of Babylon was to rebuild the temple. Major purpose. And the rebuilding of the temple was important. Again, like I said earlier, it's where they met with God and where God's presence resided. And this was actually the big identifier for them as a people of God to have that temple rebuilt. Babylonians came in, they took it over, they ransacked the place, they burned it. It was a shambles. Um, but now these guys are sent back with the task to rebuild, get back to where we need to be. And they did a really good job in the first two years in, uh, in that they laid the foundation again. But in those years, the surrounding groups were jealous and they got uh, opposition and they knew that the temple, what the temple represented, the opposition, the enemies knew what the temple represented. And they knew that if the Jews started building this, they would get more powerful and they didn't want that. So they started to oppose them. They started to cause trouble. And eventually, the Israelites just got so discouraged, they gave up. They gave up. Think about it. Have you ever worked on a project and then you kind of lost some steam? Okay. You know, the wind's kind of like out of your sails. You know, the project turns out to be harder you know, than you thought and you just kind of quit. Now, if you're like me, you don't want to bring it up, right? It's, it's, it's an eyesore, right? It's, maybe it's a rental. Mm, see my house. Or, or maybe it's your garden. Or for me, it's just like my grass. Like, never mind that. My neighbors offer to buy weed killer for me because I like the little yellow flowers. But whatever, you know, it's an eyesore. And what do we do? What do we do when we lose steam? We just let it sit, right? Maybe, maybe it's like out of sight or we, we cover it up. We just don't want to see it. We don't want to deal with it, right? It's an eyesore right? Right? It's mess, right? And we can relate to that. Um, you really don't want to bring it up again. You don't want to, you don't want to go there. It's frustrating. It's a sore spot. You try to ignore it, right? But 
you can't you can't because it's just always there and so the israelites that they're, they're like us they just stopped on the rentals they focused on themselves they were diverted and uh, you know we can see that they gave excuse after excuse and when in reality they they, they really had gotten sidetracked and God challenges them on this. And he says, look, give thought to your ways. Give thought to your ways. In other words, what's going on? You know, I brought you back for a purpose. And now you're sidetracked? Like, what about us, he's saying? Like, you know, um, what about me and you? And, 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 and I have some questions when I go through this. Like, you know, I almost ask the same question. Like, why did you come to Soul Sanctuary? When you think about it, you know, you know for many of you, why is Soul your home church? Right? Maybe you've been here since its inception in January 2004. Maybe you came in 2010, you know, random number. You know, by chance, you just showed up or whatever. Um, maybe you came to so online and, and you haven't had the opportunity for to, to meet in person. You know, well, why did, why did you come? Um, maybe it was a friend who invited you or a family member invited you. Maybe you said yes for a reason. And, you know, we all have different reasons, right, of why we would come and, and to the places that we would come to. We all have our own motivation for that maybe your marriage was in trouble i don't know and you were like man i gotta solve this thing and and uh you know i hear you know maybe god has something for me to help me in this thing or maybe you just said i just need to get back to church i need some sort of rooted foundation of faith or maybe it was your kids getting involved in our youth one of our youth groups and that they dragged you in right um or maybe it was just a friend or a family member who knew what was going on in your life and just said hey you need jesus <laughs> just straightforward right and they invited you and you you came maybe you're just trying to figure out your purpose right your purpose in life in general and you're asking you know yeah what's my purpose and you know sometimes when god brings us to a place for a specific purpose you know we have to remember it's not solved in a 30-minute episode or a 40-minute life lesson right and when when it's not solved quickly in our culture we get sidetracked and other things begin to take over, right? So the, the, the book of Haggai then uh, tells us also about misplaced priorities. And uh, he, he brings that to their attention. And Haggai points out to the people, you know, what their priorities had been and how it's working out for them, right? He mentions that they first built paneled houses. And in that day, that was actually like a custom built home. So they had their own houses. And uh, they weren't totally destitute, all right? So, uh, but they couldn't get ahead. Interesting, right? And then he reminds them, you know, you've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you'll never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but nobody is warm. And you earn a wage and you put it in a bag with holes. And so um, it was hard for them to get ahead, basically. And yet they were still somehow able to, when you read it, able to build nice homes. And sometimes you and I feel like we can't get ahead, right? And actually what Haggai is saying um, should have really not been any surprise for anybody. We, often the prophets just reminded the people of what God had said and what he was going to do. And in fact, about 900 years before, when we do our history, Moses warns the people of God. He warns the Israelites that if you get off track, these types of things will happen. So it's, it's not old. This is old news. It's not something new. The harvest won't come in. Things won't work out. He warned them 900 years ago to make God number one. And here it is. It's happening again. And so God is faithful to his word, even when it hurts. But 
he wasn't leaving them totally destitute, right? In Haggai's context, he, he knew exactly what was going on, and the people had neglected God's priorities, and it wasn't wrong for them to plant crops and provide for their families. However, their priorities had gotten out of order, and you see, when you put God's priorities last, they usually never get done. Just saying. It's easy to forget, because our own priorities can be so time and resource consuming. And we just put God on the shelf, right? You know, again, how many of you own a house, right? And if you're not careful, that house owns us, does it not? Things can just own us at times. Think about it. There's always something to fix, right? Um, uh, I'm in the middle of a project right now, and uh, there's always something to fix. You know, you open up a wall, there's always something. There's another problem. It's not perfect, but it's, it's livable too. So we kind of, you know, adapt to live in a mess, right? And uncomfortability. Um, but it can also outstrip anything else that God would have in mind for us. And God's not in need of our resources. In fact, scripture tells us he's the great provider. But he wants our hearts to be wrapped around the things that really bring us true life and true joy. True life and true joy. He is a good father. He wants good things for us, but he knows um, often that we wrap our hearts around things that don't give us full life and full joy. So he brings us back around. He gets our attention and he wants us, as Haggai says, to consider our ways. What are you doing? And sometimes he blows some of our efforts away just to get our attention. Has God got your attention? You know, I can spend my whole effort fixing up my house or fixing up my car, right? You know, but I can't take it with me when I die. It doesn't last forever. And yes, I need to adequately house my family and I need good transportation. And God understands that those are things that I need, especially in our Western culture. This is not an issue, but I have to get my priorities in the right order. And we call this priority sorting or value sorting, right? We have to sort, we have to look at what's the most important thing. And am I allow, uh, allocating my time, my energy, my resources to getting the most important things done first, right? So, so Jesus reminds us of this when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Right. When he's talking about these things, you know, he's talking to a group of people and he's bringing up things like, you know, you got to eat and, you, you know, what are you going to wear and where are you going to live? And it's interesting because when we look again, like way back 1400 years before, you know, with Moses, you know, the people were worried about the exact same stuff when they're walking with Moses. Where are we going? Where are we going to live? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to wear? Right. You get to Haggai and, you know, 520 BC and Haggai's time. They're worried about the same stuff again. Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? What are we going to wear? And then Jesus now in the first century, some 500, 600 years later, he talks about, you know, where are you going to eat? What are you going to wear? Where are you going to live? And today we deal with those same issues. There's not a whole lot of new problems here at all. You know, it, it, it may look a little bit different. But God knows these things. And he says, if, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. He knows what we need. He even knows what we want, right? 
And he knows the difference, even when we don't always know that. But he's going to take care of us. Why? Because he is the good heavenly father. And so there's this happy moment in the book of Haggai. And a lot of prophets, when you read them, you know, they're kind of like the doom and gloom. But Haggai, if, if you remember his name, is, is kind of related to this concept of festival. Like he's the party prophet. Like, you know, party on, dude. Like that's who he is. He's actually a happy guy. And, and there's a happy moment here in, in chapter 1, verse 12, because we can read it, then Zerubbabel and the, the son of, well, the political leader and the religious leader, right? With the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord. Did you hear that? And the words of Haggai the prophet, as their Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Very important there. And this is a happy moment. It really is. Why? Because they obeyed right? Now, what we're going to find out is because they obeyed, God then says, after they obey, after they start the action, God then says, I am with you, right? And, and not only that, he, he really wants, they decided to obey and begin rebuilding. He stirs within their spirits, and he gives them that extra wind in their sails to get things done, to get her done, right? But first, they had to obey. They had to make a decision in their head that they were going to be obedient, and then they acted on that. And then God began to give them that extra push and he began to help them in this whole process. So this is an encouraging moment. They obey God. And sometimes we, we know the good that we should do, right, in our lives, but we just really don't want to do it. We don't feel like it. It's not the right time. And, and yet, if we would step back and if we could understand that, that this is what, you know, God had said, you know, that we need to do things. He speaks to us that we need to do it even when we don't feel like it, right? But once we begin to act, and God can then come along and, and begin to really help us accomplish even more. Why? Because we're obedient. We put him first over our wants, over our needs. And, you know, uh, I think we need to see this example that's being set before us here in Haggai. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are our priorities? What, are there priorities in your life that you need to resort? Think about that. You know, maybe you haven't quite completely, you know, left God off your radar, but maybe you've let something else consume your resources. You just put them on the shelf. He's there. You still see him, but he's not number one. And again, our problem is that we, it's not that we don't love God. I, I don't see that. It, it's just that we love something else more. And it gets in the way. And maybe I need to resort my time commitments. Maybe I need to reshuffle or reconsider my daily routine so that I built in more time or some time to really get to know God and to reading the scriptures and, you know, pouring spiritually into my family. Maybe God wants me to invest into people, my neighbors or people at work uh, more than what I'm doing now. Maybe he wants uh, me to resort my financial commitments, you know, so I can give financially in a God honoring way instead of just tipping saying just throwing it out there like i said i could have made this whole uh, book on money but i'm not i'm not don't no, no, no. relax relax maybe we need to resort some of our abilities you know and before we go on and develop a, a personal hobby maybe we need to stop and is there maybe some ability that i i have that help can encourage other people develop other people develop the church encourage people in the church so again, are there priorities that I need to resort, right? 
And I think what Hackey does is as we look at him and we look in the mirror, he helps people see beyond their current circumstances. And, and that helps us, really, it does. And as we see ourselves in this story, because you and I are in this story, maybe there are some misplaced expectations that we need to recalibrate. So what happens in the stories that they begin to build and in chapter two, actually a couple months go by and they're getting close to the end of the project. Um, it's not quite what they thought. They're kind of looking at it. They take a step back and it's not as grand as the original temple was. As a matter of fact, Haggai writes of who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You know, um, some people are obviously old enough to remember the, uh, the temple and what it originally looked like. And then, you know, they saw Solomon's temple. They saw how beautiful it was. It was laden with gold. It was precious. That, and this new temple that they built is nothing like that. It, it pales in comparison. And, you know, they have all these expectations, all this hard work. And I mean, God, you know, made such a deep, big deal. Let's just get this done. And now as, as they get close to completion, it just, it just, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, and sometimes our expectations are something like this and they're kind of misplaced, right? You ever watch one of those, uh, House shows on uh, on television, you know, whether HGTV or whatever else they have, or, you know, you can see you can win these houses for lotteries, right? And uh, the ones that focus on on giving away the dream homes, we're going to give you a dream home, woo, right, right? And they build or they renovate these dream homes, and then somebody's or some lucky winner, right, it wins the dream home. But there's always the rest of the story. You know, it looks great on TV, it's edited, it's, it's fabulous, but there's always the rest of the story. And that many of those people, especially those who win uh, these dream homes and lotteries, um, they can't afford to keep them. Okay. You know, they, they, you've heard the expression, the grass is always greener on the other side. You, you just don't want to pay the water bill when it comes right down to it, right? And that's what happens here is that many people who, who get these dream homes just really can't afford to do the monthly upkeep. They're unable to pay for the insurance or they're unable to pay for the property taxes or the, even the utilities. And eventually the dream home either has to get sold or goes into foreclosure. And uh, I'm pretty sure that when people hear the announcement that they won this great prize, they never expect to, to go into foreclosure. But that's, that's the dark side. You know, that's the stuff behind the scenes. And, and sort of kind of what's happening here with the people of Israel they, you know they had these huge expectations and it's not turning out like they thought uh, they're almost done rebuilding it and it's it's not what they imagined and it's it's not as good as what they either remembered it to be or what grandpa or grandma said it was like and and so they're kind of disappointed they're kind of you know dejected and it's not what it's cracked up to be but when we think about it, Solomon's temple itself was just a shadow of what God was aiming for when he was pointing people to it. Just a shadow. Solomon's temple was not the standard that God was giving people. Um, you know, this is what the Lord says when he speaks to the folks, when they're like, well, this is not what we expected. We thought it would be better. He says this in, in Haggai chapter 2. He says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you, so do not fear. It's not about the building. 
He goes on to say, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. Now, what we see here is Haggai reaffirms that God is still working out his promises. And from our vantage point, we, we know these are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is the desire of all nations. He's worth more than all the riches of all the nations. And in the New Testament, through Jesus, those of us who follow God, our bodies are now the temple. The presence of God resides in us. He resides in you. Right? And God is not about to be limited to a geographic location in a man-made building, but rather his presence is with us as we walk with him, as we talk with him. And, and this is the amazing aspect. This is more beautiful than Solomon's temple. And here in Haggai, God is preparing his people for this coming of this promised Messiah. This is what this is talking about. Something better is coming. Thanks for being obedient and getting it this far, but something better is coming. In fact, he says a little bit later in the same passage, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So yeah, sure, maybe it looks a little bit dumpy, but it's going to be greater. And in this place, I will grant peace, he says. And he's telling him, you know, you, you remember, um, it's not the final destination here. You know, what you're experiencing right now, there's something even greater coming. And there's going to be, and, and we know it's Jesus. And, and, and Jesus even tried to get people to understand that. If you go to Luke chapter 12, he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near or no one walk destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And at the beginning, Haggai's talking about these folks, putting their money in, into purses with holes with them. And now Jesus is, is telling us, um, to trade in uh, those kinds of money bags, so to speak, and trade them in for bags that are more secure, right? More secure than any bank vault. He's, he's preparing us for something more. And so the questions we want to ask ourselves is, what is my life built on today? Where do you place your hope? Where's your trust? Even in a world that's just a little bit in upheaval, you know, do you, are you placing your hope and your trust in things that you see? Right? And yet they don't quite fill the hole in our soul it's nice to get new stuff yeah you know it's nice and shiny for a while and it's enjoyable but over time it's going to lose its luster it's, it's not going to be new anymore right maybe you got a raise and it's like oh wow i got a raise i got a new standard of living Woohoo! but then after a while you get used to that standard of living do you not and you would appreciate a little bit more right it doesn't matter what our socioeconomic status is. It really doesn't. We can always use a little bit more because simply put, we all get accustomed to things. And so what do we place our hope in people? Is it in my home? Is it in my stuff? I mean, you know, I could be even more noble and say, is it my family? Is it in my relationships? Is it in my accomplishments for the kingdom of God? Actually, the prophet though reminds me that I need to place my hope in God himself. He's the treasure of all nations. So Haggai, when it is all said and done, challenges our love of comfort and shows us the blessing of God's presence is in our lives when we, his people, obey him. 
And I've said this over and over again. God's love language is obedience. And that's what he's asking us to do. So are you building a life that reflects your status as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Leaving a legacy that will stand the test of time. Let's pray. God, help us to see what your word is teaching. Help us to be submissive to it and open to it. You speak words of life and goodness to us. Help us to trust you. Help us to see what we put our trust in. And may it be you, Lord. We thank you so much that you are going to shake the heavens and the earth and that you bring us the treasure, the desire of all nations. So Jesus, be in our midst. But sometimes, Father, we recognize it's hard and we get our priorities out of order. We get our hopes misaligned. And we're asking today to see clearly to have good vision for what you intend for our lives. Help us to discover your true intent and purposes and help us to invite others to, be ex to experience that as well. And I pray that you would be honored and that you would be glorified and that you would help us to understand how to take our next steps with you and that you'd give us courage to take those steps, we pray. I pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining. I trust that you've had a good um, morning. I trust that you'll have a great morning and a reflective time on our uh, priorities. So in ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing, those receiving a blessing did likewise. And I'm trying to make it work within my little picture frame. But hey, you know, my hands are awake, are up. Comes from Haggai. Here again, the promise God made to his people long ago, soul sanctuary. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Be strong. Be courageous. Keep working at what God has placed on your heart. And remember that God says, I'm with you. That his spirit remains in you. That he's living among you. So don't be afraid. Be blessed. And now go live the church. We'll see you next week.